This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Welcome to Bobcast episode 21. I'm Andrew Smith, and my co-host Caleb Castro and I are picking up right where we left off last week in our interview with former worship leader Rudy Manrique, talking about Bovink on worship. Let's dive in. So and for us, when we're saying that, okay, is, is a hymn good or bad to sing in the church? This might be decided at a synodical level. In the case of our Trinity Psalter hymnal, the URC and the OPC had a, a worship committee that, you know, put these songs together. An individual session or, um, you know, board of elders or a consistory can pick out one particular song even in our Psalter hymnals and say, we're not very comfortable with this. We're, we're not going to sing this one in our service. And so they can disapprove of a hymn. Well, what about when we get to certain churches that do say a congregationalist model, a non-denominational or charismatic church, who's deciding where these songs come in, the songs that they sing? Usually it's the song leader. Mm-hmm. And even then, uh, I'll give you my how I did it. Honestly, to tell you the truth, I picked, I would pick songs just based off because it was popular. It was requested by a member in the congregation, or it sounded really good to me because I wanted to play the guitar parts. You know what I mean? That's basically it. And yeah, it, it has, it's not a, a, a consistory or a session determination of these things. It's, it's basically on an individual basis and those people that are put in charge of those ministries. Well, and so when you say individual basis, then uh, you were saying not even just you, but like what's popular. Correct. And so it can be a song that basically is resonating well, ultimately, with the congregation, what they think they respond really well to. Mm-hmm. So it becomes very subjective, like, I mean, basically across an entire church. How well are you connecting with that song? How does that make you feel? Correct. I know for a while back when I was leading worship, we actually had a suggestion box at our church for people to put songs in and wasn't a great thing because number one, yeah, you're, you're basing everything around people's preferences. And then also they wanted to do songs like they heard on the radio and it turns out we weren't that good and couldn't even play them. So it was just (laughs) multiple layers of frustration. Hey, Andrew, can I ask you? What were some of the songs that were requested? You know, I think I've blacked that out of my memory. <laughs> I want to point out from volume four of Reformed Dogmatics, page 443, uh, Bob begins this chapter on the Spirit's means of grace by talking a little bit about uh, mysticism. I'm going to read this quick portion here. Uh, All of salvation and blessedness comes to fallen people through God's gracious character. Objectively, that grace with all its benefits appeared in Christ, who acquired and distributes them in the way of the covenant. So the fellowship of those who have received Christ with all his benefits is called the church or the Christian community. The question we now face is whether or not in the communication of these benefits, Christ uses means. So does Christ use means to basically communicate his grace and fellowship with man? Uh, He says, all mystics are disposed to answer this question in the negative. 
Although in keeping with their dualistic starting point, they cannot conceive of grace as being dependent on or bound to external signs and actions. According to this view, it is God himself alone or the Christ in us, the spirit, or the inner word or inner light that works grace in humans. And the word and sacrament can do no more than point to or depict that internal grace. Basically, Bobbing is pointing at uh, that one of the issues of, say, mysticism is that in order to feel a connection to God, in order for there to be a fellowship or relationship between human and the divine, the mystics think that we must look inside ourselves for the inward light that where God has put his spirit in us. Uh, so in other words, there's no means of grace. It's, it's an immediate relationship. It's just there in you if you just search hard enough. Do you guys think that this, I mean, sounds a lot like contemporary worship? Oh, yeah. Are, are, is, does contemporary worship in kind of looking for uh, an inner feeling, an inner experience to search yourself and feel connected through the song, is it actually mystic? I mean, it sure sounds like it because you're basing everything not on the thing itself, not on, you know, power inherent in the word, but your experience of it. Correct. Correct. I would agree with that as well. And this is why you, you have that language in these these certain circles. When I heard that song, it's like the chains fell off. Hmm. Man, the spirit was really upon you when you hit that note. Really felt the presence of the Lord there. Yeah, yeah. You were telling me a story uh, earlier, Rudy, about uh, the, those chains falling off, that you kept receiving a request to play that song because one particular congregant... Yeah, so, if a uh, true story, there was a time that there was a song that was requested that I should play, you know, number of times for a certain congregant in the church... The reason why they wanted me playing this song a lot was because whenever I played it, they said that they felt like the chains would, would come off. Whatever they're bound to or whatever what's happening in their life, would it whenever this song came on, it would liberate them or I guess, you know, um, give them temporary relief or or whatnot. Hmm. And that's the that, and that's a that's a problem. And that's kind of a very sad thing, to be honest. It breaks my heart when, you know, because th- those stories are are real obviously i'm telling you guys this you know people are actually looking to this music as the savior and i know that sounds kind of harsh and that's probably obviously that's not necessarily the truth of it but instead of looking to christ and how christ has revealed himself in his word people are actually looking to their experiences with these songs to give them that that relief of um, being set free from sin that only christ can bring so what you're describing there, uh, you're talking about like this basically spiritual chains being broken off, uh, and you're pretty much describing uh, how how they tend to understand this worship music experience as like basically sanctification, a process of salvation. It's it's cleansing them, mm-hmm. it's purifying them. Mm-hmm. God is communicating His means of grace mm-hmm. to them through an action of music received in their hearts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it sounds like you're describing a sacrament, basically. Correct. Exactly. They're turning the music into a sacrament. Yes, exactly. Yeah, people treat music like a sacrament, but it isn't. I mean, we know what we believe. We have, as Reformed people, we have teaching concerning the sacraments, like 
as articulated in Belgic Article 33, which says, we believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and weakness. So there is a recognition there that we need to have this grace communicated to us. But there's a certain way as we go on, has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. And then we get to see what these are. He has added these to the word of the gospel. So it's all based on the word. It starts with the word to better represent to our external senses, both what he enables us to understand by his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts, confirming in us the salvation he imparts to us. For they are visible signs and seals of something internal and is visible, by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this sounds like, when you read it, the same kind of thing that people are chasing in contemporary worship, and yet, biblically, confessionally speaking, that's not where this is going as we read on. So they are not empty and hollow signs to fool and deceive us, for their truth is Jesus Christ, without whom they would be nothing. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of sacraments that Christ our Master has ordained for us. There are only two. Music and tongue speaking. No, I'm kidding. It's not those. <laughs> the sacrament of baptism and the Holy Supper of Jesus Christ. So these are the means of grace. You know, in addition to the word, which is a means of grace, we have these two visible sensory means of grace, the sacraments. They are the word, the gospel communicated to our senses, not the good feeling, the liver quiver brought by certain songs and certain <laughs> expressions of music. Liver quiver. Liver quiver. That is going to be a t-shirt. <laughs> liver quiver. And, I, I mean, just to touch, to uh, kind of piggyback on that, Andrew, especially with what we see on social media, I mean, how many posts do we see on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, night of worship, how many times have you logged on to those same social media platforms and said and saw night of preaching? It's non-existent. Yeah, or you know, log on social media and making a big deal of baptism and the yeah. supper. Yeah, <laughs> maybe occasionally, but pretty rare. Instead, what do we see? Worship on the beach, night of worship. Come join so and so contemporary band for a night of worship. You know. Yeah, it's always that. It's it's the experience. And I think this is because American Christianity comes out of those movements, you know, like revivalism, pietism, subjectivism, rather than as we just read from Article 33 of the Belgic, it's the sacraments, the word preached and the visible signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's what confirms our faith with contemporary worship music. It's the feelings that are confirming our faith. Well, in that and uh, from page 445 on uh, Volume 4 of Reform Dogmatics, just about a page and a half after I was quoting a moment ago, Bobbing points out how uh, the mysticism will tend to uh, reject the means of grace uh, in the proclamation of the word and the administration of the sacraments, exercising or discipline, as ways in which God actually communicates and sanctifies, uh, really, because the means of grace to them are basically a list of external things that bind God. God does, shouldn't need external things to work his power in us. Uh, you know, he should be able to just put it directly in us 
and from there just work it out uh, and and we just have to look at it we just have to find it uh so he he, he goes on and talking about how uh the issue with anabaptists is that neither was that grace the means grace something material or substantial for them a physical force a super added gift no it's an elevation of human nature Okay, they're basically, uh, they don't look to the administration of the sacraments added to the word. They're looking at an elevation of a human uh, experience and what's going to really tap them in into uh, a divine experience, basically. Well, and this creates a particular problem when we look at our present situation with this pandemic, because uh, a lot of us have been in a situation where the only worship of any kind has been like worship by live stream and this whole individualistic subjective experience brought on by music or whatever i mean that's portable you can load those songs on your ipod and uh you know start dancing around your living room and have that experience is that what you do is that what you do andrew i don't do it but i mean people can and people do but the issue with that is this puts us in a crisis in a situation where people can be away from receiving the means of grace and probably not feel like they're missing out on all that much because they've been programmed to think that they receive grace that they commune with the spirit by these other ways correct well it kind of also downplays the the roles of say um church officers too right Sure, because one of the main functions of church officers, you know, at least in our reformed view, is, you know, you have the elders that oversee the administration of the sacraments, recipients of baptism, as well as fencing the table and the practice of discipline, determining who is and is not allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper. And that's important, and you can't have that if everybody's having church in their PJs in the living room. Or creating, well, in the same way outside of COVID, basically creating new ways of to worship um, the ways that they want, right? They're uh, basically approving anything for worship. Well, and continuing on in our discussion of the Belgian Confession, you go back into Article 32 uh, with order and discipline. That's another essential element of the church that hits on this, um, not only on the issue of church officers and discipline and excommunication, but also how we worship. And this is where we get into our reformed concept of the regulative principle of worship. Just an excerpt there of Article 32. Therefore, we reject all human innovations and all laws imposed on us in our worship of God, which bind and force our consciences in any way. Now, this is huge because what we're saying here is that we're saying not only is our content of worship scripture, but the rule of our worship is scripture and if scripture doesn't say do this we're not going to do it because the little secret about this thing about this whole like contemporary worship music is that you know you hear all this talk of things about chains being broken off and this is where i feel free and this is where i feel the spirit is when i'm in this worship but contrast that with what i was talking about earlier about that pendulum swing and where everything is on you the person trying to create this experience it's not really freedom it's bondage it's a form of bondage because rather than worship God the way he has said that he ought to be worshipped, you're striving and trying to create this experience that shouldn't even be what we're chasing after to begin with. There's a good point that Bobbing expands on in that in uh, page 456 there of Reform Dogmatics 4. This is on, say, the subject of downplaying the word of God from what the word of God says. I, I think 
he's pointing out what's going on here. He points to antinomianism, uh, those who are basically against the law of God. Antinomianism initially opposes only the law in the Old Testament, but soon moves on to dissent from every external word, so any word outside themselves, and the entire objective historical mediation of salvation, and expects everything from the operation of the Holy Spirit, from the Christ in us, from the internal word and inner light. So basically, when they start moving away from the law of God, even in the Old Testament, and looking to just the Holy Spirit, they actually start to tend to lose a bit of a creator-creature distinction here. Uh, He goes on, Knowledge of the word as such, accordingly, affords us nothing and leaves us cold and dead. So it's turns into a spirit versus the letter issue. Even to understand it, one needs the inner light as a condition. Just as words can teach us something only when we know the things to which they refer, scripture teaches us something only when Christ already dwells in our hearts. The word is no more than a sign, a shadow, an image, and a symbol. It expresses, points out, and reminds us only of what is already internally written on our hearts. Now, going down towards the very end of that page... Onto the next page, even. This is Anabaptism, is what he calls it. And Anabaptism was basically a revival of the pantheistic mysticism that regards the finite as an eternally changing manifestation of the infinite, and hence seeks communion with God in the intimate depths of feeling, where God and humans are one. Like a sloppy wet kiss. Oh, yes, like a sloppy wet kiss. You're looking for a connection with God. But when you remove, say, a regulative principle, uh, if you remove the word as setting the pattern for what should be permitted, in other words, if you remove the word and its law, the, the ways of God, for what he accepts as worship, you take the word out of the equation and you start to look inside yourself, basically you start trying to find how are you connecting to God? How are you withdrawing from the world? How do you, how are you killing the intellect, getting all this, you know, stuff that gets in the way, in the way of you and God and, and really connecting and experiencing him. As Bobbing says, you passively await an internal and immediate revelation. We find God and live in communion with him. We live in communion with him in this pantheistic way. Well, and the problem too is that when we leave behind the law of God in our worship, God doesn't find that pleasing. God doesn't give approval to that. You can see in the Old Testament, for instance, when a couple of Aaron's sons bring strange incense to the altar. Now, that seems like a relatively minor infraction, but for that, they die. Or you look at, for instance, Paul's letters, like especially 1 Corinthians and all the abuses and problems and difficulties of worship and the harshness with which they are condemned for it. Like, this isn't just, oh, this is a good idea. Like, no, this is the word of God. This is what God has commanded. And if you're not doing it, you're wrong. You're in sin. You're violating what he has required. So it's looking to creation and creature for the answers and not creator in the way that he's designed us and commanded us to worship. Absolutely. So then that's where we go from objective in God to the subjective. The thing is, though, people are placing, like, you know, place such a high premium on worship. You were saying even to the uh, a worship experience, you know, even the point where they will set apart uh, or pay money for a night of worship mm-hmm. with, you know... Uh, so, it, so it, artists, yeah. yeah, it's more than just a concert. It's, it's a night of worship with mm-hmm. uh, Chris Tomlin or whatever. Yeah. 
they're they're looking for the for love in all the wrong places, basically. <laughs> Looking uh, for love in all the wrong. You know, uh, <laughs> you want to expand like a little bit on that as well. I mean, um, is it really so bad to listen to like praise in worship music? That's the million dollar question, right? Because are we given permission? Uh, are we permitted to to listen to this music as Christians? And obviously, I would. I mean, the best route that we can take on this that we could take is leave it up to the conscience of the individual. Some consciences are weaker and some are stronger. Some would say, absolutely not. How dare us listen to certain music from so-and-so church. We know that they're blatantly teaching heresy and they're not repenting of it whatsoever. So why would we even bother wanting to listen to their music at all? Well, on the other side, it's, well, you know, we can listen to it because we know, while we know what they're, what they mean in their songs, we know the, the concepts that they're singing about based on how they're, they're being described in the word of God. Right. So we can discern so, yeah, we can in discern. wisdom for Correct. ourselves. Correct. So we can distinguish between lyrics and in, in some manners, leave it to the stronger or weaker brother in, in making this an issue of a stumbling block, mm-hmm. all the while looking to uh, purify and move towards biblical patterns of worship. Mm-hmm. That can be a process and that could be something that takes a long time. Like if you're listening to this today and this idea of like biblical regulated worship hits you for the first time if you go in guns blazing into your church and say yeah we're gonna do this it's not gonna go very well oftentimes it's a process it's baby steps on baby steps if the church will even go that way maybe they won't and then maybe different decisions have to be made yeah I think we need to uh, yeah very much consider yeah, the, the great benefit of music in uh, for the church you know God has not only created the mind you know he has created the heart God has created uh, passion and enjoyment uh, and he's also given us the ability to uh, as humans uh, in his image create in the sense of uh, say making paintings um, playing music building things constructing things uh we we do build we do make and art is a way in which uh we do get to explore uh beauty in this world particularly uh you know the lord has created this world and things in it to reflect his glory and in a manner we can go and take things like music in or uh, and go and contemplate the majesty of the lord music can help us in this manner just as literature and fine arts but we want to seek to not separate our notions of beauty and the glory of god from his holiness so what he says is right and also from his truth what he says is right in his word We don't want to separate the true, the good, and the beautiful. So, Rudy, if you want to write your song about your amillennial theology, and if we want to use it as the theme song for our show, we're okay to do that. Correct. Because it was written by me. (laughs) (laughs) It is beautiful. (laughs) Because it is beautiful. It is good because it is good, true, and beautiful. And the price was right. And the price was right. I charged you guys nothing. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Yes. you know, and, and on that way, uh, in that we, we, we spoke about this at the very beginning of this recording as well. You know, there really aren't a lot of reformed artists, if you will. Uh, one thing that the reformed are pretty bad at is going in expressing the beauty that God has shown in creation for his glory. We're, we're pretty bad at paintings. There's like virtually no 
reformed writers. We might start to be getting some reformed uh, musicians, uh, such as Rudy here, uh, and even some others. But, you know, we really should be promoting the use of the arts. You know, just because we say that, yeah, we need to have regulated music in the church appropriate music and biblical music. At the same time, art is indispensable to us as creatures of the living God. And it's a way that we testify of God to the world around us. Correct. Well, Rudy, it's been good to have you on and talk about worship through your eyes and our eyes and through the eyes of Bob Inc. I guess, uh, do you have any parting thoughts, any takeaways you'd like our listeners to take home from this? Yeah. Um, so, well, first off, I want to say just uh, thank you so much for having me on the uh, the podcast. You know, I've, since the beginning, I've been a, a big fan and, uh, you know, wholeheartedly believe in what you guys are doing, not only because uh, you guys are my friends and we're in the trenches together when it comes to pastoral stuff, but also um, uh, to promote Bobbing. Bob I mean, that's, you know, being able to push Bobby forward to the limelight. I, I guess that the, the takeaways that I would want to leave um, the listeners with is if like, as Andrew was saying prior, if this is your first time kind of hearing about the regular to principle of worship and you're like, what the heck? This is, you know, wow. I, I mean, I can't believe I've been doing this my whole life. You know, it's, when you singing these songs and I got to change immediately. You know, the the best advice I could leave you with is be patient. Be very patient. It took, it, it even with myself to arrive at this position, and I'm still learning. I'm, I'm still learning as I go, but it took a number of years to even get to this position. And a lot of wrestling with scripture, a, a lot of battling against what my own feelings and my own wants. But it's so freeing uh, to you. I mean, so... Uh, you want to talk about chains being broken. To worship God as he has prescribed in his word is so liberating. Mm. And not only because you're singing the word of God, you're also, uh, by singing these songs, you're also internalizing the word of God within you. Um, by singing psalms and uh, songs that agree with, with scripture, you are internalizing the word within you. And... It is such a, I mean, we're commanded to do that. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, you know. And uh, that's one takeaway. The other takeaway is also be patient with those who may have a different uh, viewpoint than how we, we've just described when it comes to worship music. Uh, be patient with those people. Don't write them off as heretics right away. Right away. Um, <laughs> right away. Um, wait at least a day or two. Yeah, wait at least. Yeah, wait, wait at least a, cu a couple seconds before you do that. <laughs> be patient with them as well. And yeah, I mean, and then on the flip side, if you're if if you are going to go the route of the contemporary worship music. Explain to your congregants why you're doing it. A lot of the practices in the church, the reason why we do them is just because it's in, it's in, it's been inherited. We just assume this is the way it's always been. It, it'd be wise to understand why we do the things we do, but also to explain to our fellow friends in the church why we do the things we do. Mm. And if that's the conviction where you settle on, then hey, Go for it, but really, really understand why you do it. Those are the things that I would I would uh, leave leave the li our listeners with. So with that, we've 
reached the end of our time for today. We thank you for listening to Bobcast once again. And if you have any questions or comments, send us an email at bobcast at gmail.com. You can also get the latest Bobcast information on social media or visit bobcast.com. And we hope you'll join us again next time. And until next time, Toadzines. 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 <laughs> that wasn't right at all. Toadzines. So that's tot, fine. It's funnier zines. that way, too. Toadzines? Zine. Toadzines. Do it again. Toadzines. Toadzines. There you go. Toadzines. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. For the latest Bobcast news and updates, visit Bobcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed to hear more great theological content. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.